at the end of puberty at 18, she ended up a whopping six foot tall and 200 pounds. She had a standing bet at the local saloon. Five bucks and a glass of whiskey said she could knock out any cowboy in Cascade, Montana with a single punch. <laughs> um, and she also helped to build the convent, including, it says, two stone buildings and a church. And I found this one article that said, she refused the assistance of men when carrying excruciatingly heavy loads of lumber and stone on her back. And the bishop hated her. Of course he did. <laughs> and I love it. So Mother Amadeus goes off there, but she gets really, really ill. And she writes to Mary and she's like, hey, can you come, come here? I really need help. I'm like really not well. And so Mary's like, yep. And she travels the 1600 miles by herself to Cascade, Montana. To, to go and nurse Sarah back to health. Don't you guys hope that the reason she went to the convent is because they were in love? So at some point, she and one of the male janitors at the convent drew guns at each other. Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I am Sarah Gorski. I'm Sam Eggers. And I'm Justin Xavier. The broad I brought us today is broadly known <laughs> as... <laughs> You've been waiting to do that all day. Actually, I haven't, but I don't know why. Feeling nerdy today. Um, no, her common nickname is Stagecoach Mary. Have you guys heard of Stagecoach Mary? No, but it sounds like it was an old folk song. She is like in. She is like one of the figureheads of the Wild West, like alongside like Bill Hickok and all those guys who are like Wild West guys. She's like a legend in like young the young American West. Awesome! I almost did Calamity Jane. She's amazing. <laughs> so she was She's like so around good. the same time. They were probably friends. They were probably hanging out. Well, they weren't. They were in different parts of the country. Never mind. But <laughs> they had to have heard of both each other. Gods. So yeah, she's a badass. I'm really excited. I end up choosing a lot of badasses, but not on purpose. But I guess I'm just attracted. <laughs> we're attracted to what we're attracted to. The more ways we do, the more ass. the more we're gonna see <laughs> where our own personal biases lie. Yes. I try. I do try to balance it. But mm -hmm. I think I, I see the stories flash by, and I'm like, oh, that one's a badass. Which mm -hmm. is like bookmarked. Right. Mine are mine are very political. <laughs> Sam's are very classic. Yeah. Classic Hollywood and. Yeah. Mine are just women who punch. Yours are things. just yours are yeah. <laughs> your women like to beat people up. And I actually have take to give, no prisoners. So I actually have to give credit. So this broad was brought to my attention by my aunt Lynn. So this is a shout out to Aunt Lynn. If Hi Aunt Lynn. Lynn. Thanks Aunt Lynn. She sent me this broad. She was like, "You should do this woman." And I looked into her and I was like, "Wow, I should do that woman." So here I am. I'm bringing you Stagecoach Mary. So she was born Mary Fields, and she was born into slavery. So the record keeping is shit-tastic because they never recorded people's names. They only recorded their slave numbers, and right? If even that. So she was probably born in 1832 and probably in Hickman County, Tennessee. Both her parents were slaves. And supposedly, they were owned by Supreme Court Judge Edmund Dune. So when Mary was born, she also was owned by him. This is really interesting. I should, like, preface this whole broad story with... There's... Because she's such a legend, there's, like, a lot of conflicting accounts of mm -hmm. various things in her life. So I'm going to try to, like, point out the conflicts as we go. But it's hard... I think even, like, the sources I was finding just didn't have other sources, too. So it's a little bit, like... <laughs> 
Um, conflicting opinions also because, you know, white people rewrite history all the time mm-hmm. in their own favor. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, they do. And she really defied, she really defied um, kind of the model for, of, of a, a nice, quiet black woman <laughs> of the day. So people, people really rewrote her stories, I think, for their own convenience. Um, so anyway, so she was um, in Tennessee. She was a slave. Uh, at the end of puberty, at 18, she ended up... A whopping six foot tall and two hundred pounds, yeah. which is pretty giant for that the, that era. You know, women were like petite, good point, as fuck back then. Mm-hmm. So six feet, two hundred pounds was like huge. She was like a big lady and st- like strong, not like not somebody you want to mess with. Yeah. Exactly. So after the Civil War and emancipation, she and her family were freed, and she started working her way up the Mississippi River, um, working as a as a a, pay, a quote paid servant <laughs> and laundress um, and one of the jobs she had while she was working her way up the Mississippi was emptying chamber pots on the Robert E. Lee which is a ship when it beat the Natchez in a famous 1870 steamboat race <laughs> oh I love that steamboat wait, race wait that oh that, that race <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Oh, my favorite, my favorite race. They were having steamboat <laughs> races. Well, they were because steamboats were like the shit back then. That was like the real entertainment. The race took six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but supposedly it was a famous one. And while she was on that ship, working on that ship, she ran into her former master, and he told her that his relative pushed him off the edge. <laughs> <laughs> he went missing, and no one knows what happened. No, apparently, it, like it. It seems like they were on good terms because they seemed to, yeah, there didn't seem to be like. He wasn't like the worst life. kind of slave owner. He was. I guess not. He was like, one oh, of the shit, nice she's ones. Six feet tall, two hundred pounds. Right. But when they, so when they run into each other, he's like, "Oh yeah, my sister has gone up to Toledo to a convent there." Um, so, and it. Uh, so there's this is a, one of the conflicting sources. Is it his sister? Was it just a relative? Was it just a friend? We're not sure. But uh, Mary had been friends with this woman, Sarah, when back from her slave days. And so she was like, hey, I want to go visit her. So I'm going to go to Toledo and I'm going to go visit Sarah. There's also, so here's like all these different sources. Um, there's a different conflicting report that says that her owner was somebody else, the Warner family, and that she met Sarah when one of the Warner family's daughters married one of Sarah's family members. So like there's, I don't know. I, I don't, it's hard. Nobody seems to know the actual fact. Thanks record keeping for being mm-hmm. so <laughs> diligent back then. But regardless, she gets to Toledo, Ohio by herself, by the way. She like just is like, I'm just gonna go to Toledo. And she finds Sarah at the Ursuline Convent of the Sacred Heart in Toledo, Ohio. And when she arrives, they ask her how her journey to Ohio was. And supposedly she tells these nuns, I'm ready for a good cigar and a drink. <laughs> and the nuns were like, Shocked. The nuns were like, uh. Nuns were like, here's our closet full. Take your pick. Uh, we but- have wine. Is that. Are you all right with wine? <laughs> no, actually, she did not drink wine, Justin. Oh. She was a whiskey drinker. That makes sense. In fact, the old west. We'll talk about it. You have to drink whiskey. They don't accept you otherwise. Part of the story, but she apparently used to carry a jug of liquor on her at all times, like a jug, like on her. She was known for it. And I guess if a lot of your days are just like riding across the old west, you're bored and alone, you're going to drink. Why not? I would drink on a horse. I don't think she drank because she was bored. I think she drank just because she like wanted to. So her and Sarah, it, it by all appearances of all the different sources I read, were 
they were like really tight and she was hired almost immediately as a groundkeeper for the convent. Um, so she worked there what ended up being about 15 years uh, in total. She got a room and meals and $50 a year in exchange for her labor. And then while they were there, Sarah rose up in the ranks and eventually she became the, the mother superior there. And her name kind of changes, I think when you like, as you <laughs> ascend up the, the Catholic nun ladder, she then is known as Mother Mary Amadeus Dune. Don't you guys hope that the reason she went to the convent is because they were in love. Do you and know what? I can't help but think it. There, right? Because the story continues. So I can't mm. help but think it, but there's no sources that talk about that at all. I think that's what I but believe. like. But that's also the actor in me who's like, what's the real story here? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, what's the real story? So in 1884, Mother Amadeus is transferred by the bishop to St. Peter's Mission near Cascade, Montana. The convent they had a branch there that had just opened and they were opening new schools for the local Blackfeet tribal nations. So Mother Amadeus goes off there, but she gets really, really ill. She develops horrific pneumonia, supposedly. And she writes to Mary and she's like, hey, can you come come here? I really need help. I'm like really not well. And so Mary's like, yep. And she, she like packs her stuff up and she travels the 1600 miles by herself to Cascade, Montana. To, to go and nurse Sarah back to health. And she wow. does. Sarah lives for longer. And she stays on at the missions. Mary stays at the mission doing maintenance and repair work as well as gardening and laundry, bringing supplies. She would ferry supplies to nearby towns. Um, and she also helped to build the convent, including, it says, two stone buildings and a church. And I found this one article that said she refused the assistance of men when carrying excruciatingly heavy loads of lumber and stone on her back. <laughs> and I love it. Just watching her That's like great. Build, build a wall by herself. Don't Carry need your help. Them. Don't want your help. <laughs> Don't want to have to owe you. <laughs> I mean, clearly, you guys, I'm sorry. They were they were having a relationship. I, it's just obvious to me. I don't know. I can't because none of the sources say it at all. But so I feel like they I can't. Wouldn't. But I think that's. I don't know. It could. Like, it could be like the sort of. But it also could be bosom friends. It like could it could be. be a, yeah. But I know. think that there's a. Or the also, like crouching tiger, hidden dragon sort of like we can't, but we we want to, but we can't. Just like forever. Maybe, but I think that there also is. Also, sort she's of, a nun, though. Like, yeah, Sarah's but a I nun. Exactly. Yeah. Mother Superior. Yeah, but I, I think can. that a lot of nuns had one went into convents because they didn't want to marry because they were lesbians. And possibly, not a lot, but I think there's at least some that did. There's probably a, have a good number. And I think that they most Does likely. Does the Catholic Church know? Do they know? <laughs> yes, that's why they transferred her. They're like, oh, we found out you're a lesbian. You have to go to the new convent. I mean, maybe. I mean, I'm that's kind of how they covered anything they don't like. It just it's send them away. By my oh, of course, it's speculation. But like, it look, like I like it. I like it. I'm I'm on I'm board. Saying, this is the story I want. This it is, is what I want for Stagecoach Mary. I want her to have this like incredible love affair. That's all. I, I think it's. I, I, I think you so write too. That screenplay. Maybe I will. Ooh. <laughs> Stay tuned. So I want to like dial it back a second to just paint a picture of who Mary is too, because at this point. She, she is known by all the nuns in the convent. She is a gun-toting smoker with a colorful vocabulary that carried a jug of liquor with her, and she wore men's clothing. And the bishop hated her. Of course he did. <laughs> he did. What? He hated her. No. So there's conflicting reports about whether or not the nuns hated her, too, because she loved to swear, and she and she argued with people. <laughs> like, she like she would argue with the nuns about her wages, and, and th- like, when she wasn't getting paid fairly, and they were shocked, because 
women and black women specifically were n- not known to do that. So to she, ask people for were pay. Like very shocked <laughs> to be paid for their work. So <laughs> but then one of the sources uh, well, I read said, quote, she got into to trouble with the bishop, not with the nuns. The nuns loved her. The bishop didn't think she was a good example. Ugh, I hate so this it bishop. seems like she was like a real favorite. Like my interpretation of what I read was like really the nuns freaking loved her. Oh, I've never known male man. religious leaders to be <laughs> stuffy. So <laughs> weird. He wanted those nuns for himself. So at some point, she and one of the male janitors at the convent drew guns at each other because she loved gunfights. She carried her gun and she not she not loved them, but she was like not afraid yeah. to like get to it with with people. And there's like a few different versions of the story. One version just said he either objected to taking orders from her or was mad that her wages were higher than his. The version of the story I like the most is that the janitor didn't like a black woman telling him to do telling him what to do and he backhanded her across the mouth. Yeah. But as he went for his gun. She shot a bullet at him and scared him away from messing with her again. Yes, she did. Because she's a badass. Like she knows That's how, how you to do. use the gun. That's how you do. But the bishop was like, "Oh, that was too far. You're fired." And he made the nuns fire her. What a oh my! What a God. bastard! I'm not even putting his name in here on purpose because I want history to forget that bishop asshole. <laughs> Well, you, when you mentioned that, like, he wanted all the nuns for himself, maybe she really was. Like, protecting them all from, like, the well, that Well, that and also, like, in a relationship. And the bishop is like, hey, what the, what's going on here? I don't know. Exactly. But they did. They had to let her go because the bishop is the boss or whatever. Right. So and he made them go. do it. Yeah. He probably. He, he probably, probably thought she would shoot Sarah him. do it. Like he probably that's my yeah. in, my, in my in the screenplay, Sam, when you write it. Well, yeah, well, actually, but that's true though, right? Like the bishops can just say, "You all have to move now." Like yeah. we're gonna like they own the yeah. the land. They, they like the the women don't have any say, so that yeah. totally right. makes sense. I mean, They're the nuns are like property. some form of indentured servitude. Yeah, mm-hmm. like they don't have a say. I don't think maybe mm-hmm. now they do, but they certainly didn't then. Yeah. So she was, and and all the articles I said reported that she was absolutely devastated because she Aww. she loved of the course she loved the nuns and had dedicated a lot of her <clears> life to it. Yeah, at that point, she'd been working for them 15 years. So, a a long time. So, she... Fired for being slapped. (laughs) For being slapped and for talking back. And for, like, shooting... Standing standing up for yourself. (laughs) Um, So, she moved into Cascade, which was the, the the nearest town to the convent. And she started doing odd jobs around town. And she, she kept drinking and getting into gunfights. And she tried opening several restaurants, and then um, Mother Amadeus helped her, I think. The indication was, like, financially, she always kind of helped her however she could. Uh, Mother Superior, her Fran, Sarah. But she opened these restaurants, but they didn't last very long because she was so generous that when somebody ate there that couldn't afford to pay, she just let them them eat there. But then she, like, couldn't stay in business. All her restaurants would close after Mm -hmm. a couple months. But I love that. I think it's so lovely. Yeah. But sad, sweet. but lovely. And then... world doesn't reward kindness. No, it, do- it doesn't tend to. Um, but then in 1895, there was a bid announced for the Star Route Carrier for the 15-mile route between Cascade and St. Peter's Mission. So the Star Route Carriers, that was the United States Postal Service. They would contract people to deliver mail in the rough parts of the country. Mm. Because basically, at, they would go from... There was like a... 15 mile stretch and by stagecoach you'd pick up the mail and then you'd deliver it through throughout your 15 mile route but they were not employees 
of the the government, they were contractors. Mm -hmm. So people would have to put a bid out, and they'd have to prove that they could handle themselves and do the work. Mm -hmm. They had to provide their own equipment. They had to run the whole operation. And in the case of most of these like Western parts of the country, it meant protecting the mail from bandits, from like robbers. Like people would like. We know we've seen all these Western movies with people robbing stagecoaches, but that was like, it's not fiction. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, I just love that, like, even back then, the government was like, oh, we don't want to pay them benefits. <laughs> no. Nope. Even no. Nope. trying to avoid the, like, right. and, ooh, employee up, status. I don't know. I looked up a little more about the, the actual Star Route carriers and the USPS. And until 1859, postal laws required carriers to be free white persons. So, so they wouldn't even let black people do the job and violators were fined and the typical four year contract did not provide payment for missed trips, regardless of weather and unexcused service failures could result in fines up to three times the trip's price. So like, not only did the government not want to pay the benefits, but they also were like, also, if you fail this job in any way, we're going to charge you money for it. Insane. You hear neither rain nor sleet nor snow nor hail will stop the mail. You don't know that's because they're going to punish the mail carrier if they yeah, don't do by, it. by, like, finding them. So Isn't that stupid. crazy? I, so, you know what? Maybe rain should stop the mail. Maybe I don't need this bill today. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> and tomorrow. And in, yeah. like, and in, like, the sticks of Montana, that's, like, the weather, all that stuff's not a joke, right? Like, it gets crazy in the winter. Mm-hmm. So Mary saw this bid go up, and she's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to submit I'm going to apply for that. So she had to prove that she could defend herself and her cargo from highwaymen. And she had to show that she really knew how to handle the horses and all the equipment that was required, which obviously she did because she was like really good at all that stuff her whole life. Uh, And lo and behold, she got the job. Supposedly, she got the job because she was the applicant who could most quickly harness a team of horses. She was the only the second woman to get that job, the first was this woman, Minnie Westman, in Oregon. And she was the first black woman. And she was 63 years old at this time. Holy what? shit. 63. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? I kid you <clears throat> not. She was 63 years old when she applied for this job. <laughs> Amazing. And she rocked this job so hard, you guys. And she and she still was better than all the other people she, in Franklin the Horses. She would... Do her route, she carried a rifle and a pistol, and she went toe-to-toe with the thieves. And when the snow was too heavy, she ditched the stagecoach, and she'd strap on snowshoes, and she would deliver the mail on foot, and she never missed a day of work. Stop it. This movie needs to be made. Holy But nobody <laughs> else makes it. it. We're going to make it. Yeah. It's <laughs> amazing. Supposedly, it was her and her mule Moses delivered <laughs> the important correspondence that helped ad- uh, advance the land claim process in Montana. So she like delivered the mail that helped solidify Montana, Montana. territory. You know, I'm like, obsessed with her. I'm obsessed with her too. So her nip- her nicknames became Stagecoach Mary and Black Mary because of course she was the only black woman in Ca- Cascade, Montana. Only black person <laughs> in, in Cascade, Montana. Yeah, I don't some know of, some of the, why anyone else would have gone there. Cascade yeah. was like, it's really out, it's very rural. So some of the bigger cities obviously would have like more populous areas had more black people but she was the only one of so she wow. but she was super beloved by the whole town yeah um, she shows up she brings us our mail she's a badass yeah she, she apparently f- is immortal yeah and she was i you know she, we talked about how she like fed people for free and that's why her restaurant's closed but she was known to be really kind at heart she babysat a lot of kids she also went to the baseball games and she would make little bouquets for each player and from her own garden 
And she would make full bouquets for people who hit home runs. Oh, my God. And she would punch anyone in the mouth who talked against the team. <laughs> and she'd yell at the umps. And she was, like, the she was like the parent at the games, you know, that was, like, in the umps' faces. <laughs> I love her. When her house burned down, the whole town built her a new one. The mayor even wanted to make her birthday a town-wide holiday. But they oh, didn't my know. God. It's amazing. <laughs> but they didn't know when her birthday was because there was no record of it. And she didn't so know either. So she used a different, she chose a different day every year and everybody in town gets a day off. Oh. Um, also, at that time, it was illegal for women to go into saloons if they were not employed there. So if they weren't, basically if they weren't a prostitute, you couldn't go into a saloon. But the mayor of Cascade was like, except you, Mary. You can go into the saloons <laughs> because she loved to drink and smoke. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that and was nobody like her saw thing. her as a woman. <laughs> so the mayor gave her a pass and they and let her go into the saloons. That's awesome. Anyway. And she carried mail for eight years until until she was like seventy or seventy one, and her body finally was like, I can't do this anymore. Wow. <laughs> and then she retired, and she operated a laundry service and babysat children, and the town still looked after her, and she was fed for free, apparently, at the hotel in town and the local restaurants, and she became the mascot of the baseball team and babysat the kids. She charged one fifty a day, a dollar fifty a day, and spent all the money buying candy for the kids oh. in town. Oh, my gosh. Well, she's amazing. <laughs> amazing. And she never, she always, she never wanted to be like a burden on other people. She was always so independent. So when she got really sick in 1914, she like snuck off into the tall grass outside her house and just kind of laid down because she just wanted to like die, but not. <laughs> like, this is like a, a weirdly sad part of the story. And these kids found her and they took her to the hospital. Oh. And then she died of, of liver failure, which is unsurprising because she drank quite a bit. Right. But made it to um, 71 or even no, longer. No, no. She was 82. 82. Ooh. She made it to 82. She died December 5th. And her funeral was the largest the town had ever seen. And her obituary, obituary was published on the front page of the paper. So Incredible. It's amazing. And until her death at the age of 82, she had a standing bet at the local saloon. Five bucks and a glass of whiskey said she could knock out any cowboy in Cascade, Montana with a single punch. (laughs) And according to her obituary, she broke more, quote, she broke more noses than any other woman in central Montana. (laughs) (laughs) Is that still true? I hope it is. (laughs) And actor Gary Cooper grew up, he like grew up his summers there in Cascade and he had met her and he wrote this big piece about her. Uh, in Ebony Magazine in 1959. And there's a couple, like, really choice quotes. I just want to read them because they're really awesome. He says, She had a fondness for hard liquor that was matched only by her capacity to put it away. Quote, She could whip any two men in the territory. Uh, And about one of her more famous duels, quote, No one remembers how it turned out, but Mary was still around when it was over. (laughs) End quote. And then his most famous quote about her, which is, I think, the quote you see in, like, every article. Quote, She was... One of the freest souls to ever draw a breath or a 38. I love that quote. That's amazing. That's nice. And I want to wrap up this broad with a list of things that supposedly Mary did in her lifetime. <laughs> I I obviously cannot vouch for them because right. but she's like an American legend. So there's all these stories and they're just amazing. So I just want to kind of like read the yeah. list okay. and you guys you I'm know. excited. She fended off an angry pack of wolves with her rifle. A man who offended her was pelted with rocks until he cried. (laughs) (laughs) Did she throw rocks? Okay. By her. (laughs) 
A man who challenged her to a duel was shot so close to his head that he immediately conceded and never spoke to her again. <laughs> that was the uh, bishop. <laughs> I wish. Oh, man. She fought off bandits, wolves, and bears by herself. She cracked a wolf in the head with the butt of her revolver. Not even the rifle, the revolver. So she was the original Chuck Norris joke. (laughs) It's true. At 72, she was drinking in a saloon when she saw a man who hadn't paid her for her laundry services walk by. Rushing out of the saloon, she caught the man by the collar with one hand, and with the other, she punched him in the face, breaking his nose, and said, quote, his debt is now paid. Once, when a pack of wolves spooked her horses and upset their load, Mary stood sentinel through the night to guard the supplies that her sisters needed to survive. And on another occasion, when a blizzard blocked her team's path, Mary managed to stay alive by pacing back and forth all night in the sub-zero temperatures. That's the end of my list. I'm sure there's more. Mm-hmm. That's all I, I collected for She might for be this one, of my fa- one of my favorite broads. She is amazing. That's unbelievable. She's amazing. Yeah. At, at I'm 63. So glad you introduced her to us. I know. She is she's the best. What do you guys think? Oh. Love her. Fantastic. <laughs> Stagecoach Mary. We're yeah. obsessed. I can't wait for the movie <laughs> that we're right, going to so make. Or Justin Broads you should know presents. That's right. Ooh. Stagecoach Mary the the musical. For all the producers listening. Shooting at bishops. Let's do it. The musical. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you want to support the show, please, please, please leave us an iTunes review. If you don't want to write the text, you can just like leave us five stars. Also, tell your friends. That's the best way for us to get new listeners. You can always reach out to us directly uh, on Instagram at broadsyoushouldknow or email at broadsyoushouldknow at gmail.com. You also should visit our website, which is broadsyoushouldknow.com. We've got more details about all our broads and our sources uh, and all sorts of stuff there. We're going to be back next week to tell you about another broad you should know. And until then, you guys have a great week.